This is episode 71 of Beyond the Bulletin. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Beyond the Bulletin. From the University of Waterloo, I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of the Daily Bulletin. And from Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe. On this podcast, we go beyond the pages and pixels of the Daily Bulletin to inform you about important news and views from our community. In this episode, Troy Glover from Recreation and Leisure Studies tells us we need a winter strategy to help us get out. Get outside, that is. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. Not only is it our 71st episode, Brandon, it's our final episode before the end of term and more importantly, the end of the year. That's right. And don't let the door hit you on the way out, 2020. I'm so glad that we didn't make any predictions or prognostications about uh, what 2020 would be like in our final episode last year, because if we did, I'm sure exactly none would have panned out. Well, I did express a lot of excitement about living in the 20s. That's like may, the old uh, may you live in interesting times curse. <laughs> <laughs> you, it, uh, there was some excitement in 2020. Interesting is overrated. <laughs> so here's what's been happening. First, an update on a developing story. The University of Waterloo is preparing to celebrate the life and legacy of Pearl Sullivan, former Dean of Engineering, who died on November 28th, with two memorial events to be held in 2021. The first event will be a celebration of life held virtually in January for the internal university community and will feature remarks from President Ferdinand Hamdelopper and Dean of Engineering Mary Wells. The second event will take place sometime in May and to the extent possible in person at Engineering 7. I just love May. It's the nicest month, and I think that's the perfect time to honor Pearl. More details about the virtual celebration will emerge in early January. Around then, we will have a special interview in this podcast to discuss the effect she had on people and this place. Last Friday, President Hamdelopper and Charmaine Dean, Vice President Research and International, announced the full membership of the President's Anti-Racism Task Force, or PART, Comprised of mainly Black, Indigenous, and people of color from the university community, the task force will present recommendations for widespread and tangible change at Waterloo with respect to anti-racism and diversity. Individuals from the task force will connect and structure recommendations from five-part working groups into an overarching framework for addressing anti-racism and for building inclusivity at the university. The working groups are structured based on the input from members of the university's BIPOC communities. The working groups will make recommendations on a range of topics, including health and mental health, professional and academic development and mentorship, race, culture, and ethnicity awareness, educational environment and the development of learners, and safety. These recommendations will be brought forward to the task force for consideration. Four implementation teams were also established to begin immediate action in the areas of campus representation, BIPOC-related programming, race, culture, and ethnicity awareness, and race-based data strategies. Dean, the PART executive designate, has been working with a community of campus members since August to lay the groundwork for PART. These community members had expressed interest in the university's anti-racism work, and according to Dean, their, quote, opinions, enthusiasm, expertise, and experience have paved the road thus far. You can learn more about PART, its members, and the working groups in the Daily Bulletin from December 15th or on the university's anti-racism website. In related work, Christopher Taylor, a lecturer in the Department of History, was appointed Black Equity Strategist and Anti-Racism Advisor in the Faculty of Arts. 
The position was established in response to urgent calls for the university and the faculty to take action against anti-Black racism. You can read more about the new role in the Q&A with Taylor published in the Daily Bulletin on December 19th. A blockchain startup led by a University of Waterloo professor has raised $3.75 million U.S. in seed funding from Silicon Valley investors, including DCVC, a San Francisco-based venture capital firm specializing in deep tech and other notable investors. Axelar is a decentralized network that connects application builders with blockchain ecosystems, applications, and users. Since the seminal Bitcoin white paper in 2008, blockchain systems have quickly gained popularity and adoption. Their use is digital ledgers for digital currencies, as well as many other applications where an immutable ledger is needed to keep track of records and transactions securely. Axelar's core team includes Sergei Gorbanov, co-founder and CEO of Axelar, and a professor at the Cheriton School of Computer Science, as well as other experienced engineers and computer scientists, among them Waterloo alumni Christian Gorenflow and Gus Gutowski. With the new funding just secured, Professor Gorbanov and his team will further accelerate the development of their project. You can learn more about Axelar in the Daily Bulletin from December 10th. I like Axelar. It sounds like an evil robot from a uh, science fiction movie. Good title. Good title, guys. Now, here's what's coming up. As you know, we are well into December and tis the season for performance appraisals. Human Resources have announced some changes to this year's process. This year, staff can choose between the usual performance appraisal process with the completion of the staff confidential appraisal form or an abbreviated process involving a performance conversation with your manager without the completion of the form. With either process option, your performance rating for 2020 must be no less than your average performance rating over the previous three calendar years. With department head approval and documented rationale, managers may award their staff with a performance rating higher than the minimum. Between now and January 15th, staff should advise their managers which of the two processes they would like to follow, and managers should schedule performance conversations with direct reports. March 12th, 2021 is the final date for performance ratings to be submitted to HR. You can learn more about the process and timelines in the memo from HR or in the Daily Bulletin from December 9th. Well, the university is still open after a fashion and will be open until Wednesday, December 23rd. On Christmas Eve, December 24th, our campuses will settle down for a long winter's nap, remaining closed until Monday, January 4th, 2021. Both the cooperative work term and the final examination and evaluation period wind down on Wednesday, December 23rd, which will also be the final working day of the year for many of us. Not a moment too soon, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So what will our campuses look like over the holiday break? What does a campus closure even look like this year? Well, you've got a preview of it with more than a few operations on campus right now, uh, with most food services locations shuttered and the center in Needles Hall closed to in-person visits uh, until January 11th. Uh, in, In addition, most academic and student service buildings are now locked and will remain locked until Sunday, January 10th, with some exceptions, including the Davis Center, which will be open until December 18th, Health Services, which will remain open to students until December 23rd, opening again on the 4th of January, the Science Teaching Complex, uh, which will also be open to students until December 18th, and South Campus Hall, which remains open until December 23rd. More details are available on the Accessing Campus webpage. All W Store, W Store Essentials, and W Print locations will be closed December 24th to January 3rd for the holiday break. All orders placed online via wstore.ca and wprint.ca will be processed in order of receipt beginning January 4th. Wprint, 
W Store Essentials, SLC, and Contactless Curbside Pickup will reopen January 4th. W Store Gifts and Apparel will reopen on January 11th. And W Store Course Materials and Supplies and W Store Essentials in the STC will remain closed to the public until further notice. On the food services front, most of its outlets close at the end of day on Friday, December 18th, including Starbucks in the STC, Tim Hortons DC, and the outlets that are currently available through the mobile ordering app. The market in Claudette Miller Hall will be open December 19th and 20th from 9 to 8 p.m. and December 21st and 22nd from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. The market will reopen at 10 a.m. on Sunday, January 3rd, 2021. All IST service desks will be closed from December 24th to January 3rd. Regular business hours will resume on January 4th, 2021. The Student Life Centre will be open on Friday, December 24th from 9 until 3, Tuesday, December 29th from 9 to 4, Wednesday, December 30th from 9 to 4, and Thursday, December 31st from 9 to 3. The turnkey desk will be staffed during these hours. You can check out the final Daily Bulletin of the Year, which will be published on Wednesday, December 23rd, for the full and updated listings of campus holiday operations. If you're going to read one Daily Bulletin all year, read the last one out of the year. Isn't that what you always say, Brandon? Right, I always say it. Although I think it was you who said something like that in our final podcast of the <laughs> last year. <laughs> I have no recollection of that, but okay. <laughs> and remember that while campus operations will start up again on Monday, January 4th, 2021, lectures and classes will not start until the following Monday, January 11th. So for students, enjoy your extra break. And now the interview. For many of us, enjoying outdoor spaces in the warmer months helped us deal with feelings of isolation from the pandemic. Some experts believe that for the same reason, it's equally important to get outside in the winter. Troy Glover is the chair of the Department of Recreation and Leisure Studies. As he tells Pamela, there is much we can do to make our community an inviting place to do more outdoor activity. Thank you for joining me, Troy. Thanks, Pamela. Great to be here. So what do you mean by a winter strategy? I guess what I'm talking about is coming up with a specific strategy to get people outside during the winter. I think it's time that we, as Ontarians, as people who live in the region, as Canadians, or actually globally for those people who live in winter cities, to actually embrace the winter and realize the health benefits of doing so. Why is it important for us to get outside in the winter, and specifically this winter? Well, this winter, because of the global pandemic, uh, we recognize that it's safest for us to be outdoors instead of indoors. The problem with the winter is that there's not a lot of incentive to get outside, yet it is incredibly important for us to do so, in particular because many people experience social isolation during the winter. And in fact, I would uh, I think it's safe to say that we experience in Canada an epidemic of social isolation. Social connectedness is so important, and our one way to connect with others safely is to do so outdoors. And winter is so long here. It is incredibly long, and I think that <laughs> we need to find a way to uh, cope with it. And I think instead of just coping, perhaps, we need to actually embrace and enjoy it. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, we feel isolated anyway, without even without a pandemic. Absolutely. And uh, again, I think uh, there is just incredible um, 
an incredible body of literature that is amassing around the incredible benefits associated with social connectedness. And I don't think we recognize how important that is to our health and well-being. So let's say you go out, it is wintertime, you go out to a park or something like that. I mean, you're by yourself still, you're kind of isolated, but you're outside and you're isolated. Does that help? I think where it does help is that I think even to see other people. So certainly in my research, I've found that in the context of public spaces, that visual assurances of sociability are very beneficial to people. So in other words, seeing other people doing things is important to our well-being, because even if we don't partake in those activities ourselves, to see them, we feel somewhat connected. What would a winter strategy look like? What would you like to see? Well, when I think of winter strategies, I often like to think of après ski culture. So if you've been downhill skiing, I don't know about you, I'm not the greatest downhill skier, but my favorite part of the experience is actually the après ski. Uh, Usually in a ski village, it's usually quite cold outside because of the climate and the the location, but it's an incredibly festive atmosphere. Um, It encourages sociability. It encourages us to be outside. And often when we're engaged in those types of activities, we don't even think about the weather. So there are a variety of strategies that localities can engage in to actually create that type of atmosphere to attract people to public spaces. Like what? Well, for example, they can activate a public space. So in other words, they can inject some form of physical activity or encourage physical activity. Hmm. Uh, They can colonize public space. So in other words, they can introduce food so that if you think about it, uh, for instance, it's very popular right now for food trucks Mm -hmm. to uh, populate certain public spaces. And that, of course, changes the whole uh, experience of that space. You can aestheticize, incorporate art in all its different variations. Uh, You can convivialize public space. So in other words, um, often just the uh, addition of chairs can uh, give individuals the cue that it's okay to sit around and socialize with others, or perhaps just be in the presence of others. Uh, You can eventify or festivalize the space. So adding some sort of an event to the space that attracts people to it. Um, you can spectacleize a space. In other words, uh, have some sort of a entertainment as a, a form of attraction. And then finally, you can whimsicalize a space. And that's mm. kind of my favorite uh, strategy. That's uh, doing adding some sort of quirky element or feature that just attracts attention uh, and engages passersby in activities that they might not otherwise engage in. I think a great idea would be for municipalities to work together with their fire departments to identify ways that we can safely use fire pits in public, whether it's parks or, frankly, extended streets that are closed to traffic. These would be great ways to encourage people to come outside. It would be um, some place that they could stay warm, that they could socialize with other people at a safe dif- distance, but also create an atmosphere that is really encouraging people to embrace the outside. I think we could do it. I mean, people go to concerts for uh, outdoor concerts, like at Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto for New Year's Eve. Absolutely. And- I think I think there's a lot of potential for public spaces in particular. I think uh, we just have a culture where 
despite living in a cold climate in Ontario, uh, we fail to embrace winter to its fullest and enjoy it. There are a lot of places where we will travel to to be outside, like Ottawa for Winterlude, Quebec City for Carnival, Winnipeg has the Forks, um, and people are outside all day. It's really cold in Winnipeg. I used to live there, I can tell you, and Ottawa's probably even colder. (laughs) Um, Why don't we do it here? Why are we willing to travel other places to do these things? I think we've just failed to see the potential in our local localities, I guess. Um, I think that we don't need any sort of major geographical feature that's going to encourage people to use the outdoors. I think that often it's just a matter of incorporating this types of strategies that I discussed already. So I think that it just takes imagination and creativity to transform a public space into a place that people want to be and spend time. And whose role is that to do that? I think there are a variety of of individuals and and organizations and entities. Um, In particular, I would say that municipalities have a big role in terms of uh, overseeing their public spaces and uh, engaging in different forms of programming that's going to attract people. Um, I think that we can also perhaps as a region, collectively try to create a strategy that becomes more of a tourism type strategy. I know that that's probably not very applicable right now when we're forced to uh, stay local. But I think that as we get uh, into a post-pandemic world, I think that there is tremendous potential for regions to identify themselves as winter cities that attract people to, to them. We did some great things during the warmer months of the pandemic, and then for some reason opted to shut those things down. So the extended patios created a great atmosphere in many downtown cores across the country, across the world, uh, in terms of you know attracting people to those uh, spaces. Um, you know there were things like widening bike lanes uh, during the warmer months that encouraged cycling. There were tremendous efforts to get people active, to get people outside, to um, engage in physical activity, to engage in sociability in safe ways. And yet, during the months where we probably need it most in terms of the colder portion of the year, uh, municipalities opted to scale back those efforts. And I think that was really short-sighted. So I was in Guelph in the summer, and I was really impressed with some of the efforts that they've um, used there to uh, attract people downtown. Um, they shut down the downtown core in terms of opening up to pedestrians only. And in doing so, they extended their patios into the streets. So if you walk downtown, it's just a, a really lovely environment. It reminded me of European city, uh, which I think is really exciting. Um, I think more cities could be doing that. I, I certainly I saw that locally in Waterloo Region. Uh, I live close to Belmont Village. Belmont Village extended its patios. But again, during the winter, for whatever reason, they opted to scale back and go back to what it was like prior to those efforts, um, which is unfortunate because I think that a lot of us need a reason to get outside during the winter. I certainly would 
go for a hot chocolate or a donut or whatever it might be if there were more of an exciting atmosphere outside instead of hunkering down and just enjoying my warm indoor climate. What's the Global Winter Cities Movement? I, it's a, a specific movement among um, cities uh, that that uh, must contend with co- uh, cold climates uh, to embrace the idea that that they're actually winter cities and uh, think through strategies to encourage their residents to get outside, to encourage tourists to come visit them. So we see that um, across Canada. We see that in many Nordic countries that use it as an advantage as opposed to a disadvantage in terms of attracting people. It seems to me that a lot of these activities would cost public money. How do we justify that spending, particularly in a time when our communities have seen some economic losses? Well, it can Cause it can cost money and it may not. Um, on the one hand, there are things that municipalities could and maybe should be doing. Uh, for instance, if we really are serious about getting people outside, we might consider uh, having the cities clear the sidewalks. Uh, a lot of elderly people cannot make their way outside, even if they wish to do so, because they're constrained in terms of snow. Um, and, uh, you know, getting in their way. Uh, But on the other hand, there are a number of initiatives that we already are engaged in. There are festivals uh, that that ought to continue. There are different amenities that we have available in our cities that I think are outstanding. Uh, And I'm talking about trails and parks. Um, You know, sidewalks themselves are important areas in terms of our everyday sociability in our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily require a great deal of investment. Even the variety of strategies to animate public space, often those are just temporary low-cost initiatives that pay off tremendously when it comes to engaging people. And when you think about the way that we could animate our spaces to encourage people to come outside. It also gives an opportunity for businesses to thrive. In other words, they can be part of the solution in terms of offering hot chocolate stands or offering their services in ways that actually appeal to other people. So these are things that have great potential when it comes to engaging not just the city and causing it to Uh, spend money, but also to engage the public and engage local businesses. You make a good point because I find since the pandemic started, if I'm out walking and I pass somebody on the sidewalk and we, you know, give each other a wide berth, but we look at each other with sort of a nod and, and we say hello. And it's nice because we realize we're in the same storm, I guess you could say. I think that that's a really important activity in which people need to engage again not just for physical activity or fresh air but simply going out for a walk in your neighborhood has tremendous health benefits social connectedness is so important and in a pandemic or any sort of situation where we feel more vulnerable living in our communities the best way to address that is to ensure that we feel like we have connections with our neighbors. And going for a walk in a neighborhood enables us to thicken our thin ties, as sociologists say. That is, 
we start to strengthen our relationship with those around us. So what might start off as a stranger may turn into a familiar stranger. So the nodding relationship that you talked about, we may not know the person, but we nod at them. That may actually evolve into uh, them becoming an acquaintance. Uh, And that may evolve even further into them becoming a friend. If we know that we have people upon whom we can rely in times of crisis, that makes us better off and healthier. Have you had any response from elected officials at the local, municipal, regional level about this idea of embracing winter and getting us out of our houses and apartments? I'm pretty active on Twitter. My handle is at Troy underscore D underscore Glover, by the way. And uh, so I've been tweeting a lot about winter strategies and embracing the winter. And I've tagged in local government officials to encourage them to undertake these types of initiatives. I did get a very positive response from the mayor of Kitchener. So we'll see what happens. I think that uh, more and more people are coming to realize uh, that these types of initiatives are just really important. So if we don't live in a place where there are Christmas markets or festivals or ice sculpture contests or anything like that, how do we employ a strategy at the individual level? Well, first of all, there could be all those things. They're pretty easy and they're pretty low cost. So uh, we can definitely engage in those sorts of activities. But there are lots of things that we could do as neighbors. Uh, you know, you mentioned ice sculpture contests or or festivals. Um, These are the types of things that animate our neighborhoods, that that make it kind of fun to go out and walk and see. Mm -hmm. And they become that attraction that gets people outside. I think one of the incredible things that's happened with the pandemic is that we've really come to embrace the local. And I think that we're coming more than ever to appreciate the resources that we have locally. You know, we tend to be attracted to other communities outside of our region in terms of visiting as tourists. But because of the pandemic, because we're isolated in our communities, we've been forced to discover how incredible they can be. I myself uh, discovered that during the summer when I took up trail riding. Um, I, I, I've learned that Ontario has the most incredible trails available to us. And these are things that we could see people use in the winter. For instance, one way that we could animate and attract people to trails is to flood them. We see that in other cities where they flood them, they create skating trails, uh, they light them up at night with with, uh, amazing lighting um, and music, and they become these incredible attractions for people to engage in ice skating. And I'll, I'll note that, like, locally, I think there's a lot of potential in some of the strategies that we engage in currently. So, for instance, um, most communities offer and neighborhoods offer neighborhood rinks. Well, I think that these types of spaces can actually serve as neighborhood hubs instead of treating them exclusively as spaces that are specific to a, a, a Uh, activity itself, we can expand them to see them as places where people can congregate safely and meet up with other neighbors and uh, enjoy that sociability that is so important to our health and well-being. Great ideas. Thank you so much for being here, Troy. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me, Pamela. 
Well, that about wraps it up for us this week, this month, and this year. You can find all of our past shows and links about the items we mentioned in today's show on SoundCloud.com. To ensure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your podcasts and recommend us to your colleagues and Waterloo alumni. You know, don't forget, we've got another 70 other episodes in our library to choose from if you're looking for something to do over the holidays. That's right. And remember to do your part to limit the spread of COVID-19 in our community. And mask up when headed indoors in public spaces. You can get in touch with us via email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday season, Pamela. Thank you, Brandon. Merry Christmas. And to everyone listening, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Solstice, Happy Festivus. For the rest of us, That's Merry right. Christmas, Joyous Kwanzaa, and really, Happy Holidays. Yes, enjoy the winter break as best you can, because 2021 is right around the corner. And as always, thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. So Troy Glover talks about uh, how over the winter and getting out, you can thicken ties. He says we call it thickening ties. Whatever Troy was saying, that was like his skinny leather ties like in the 80s. I would love to recreate the uh, uh, the Kraftwerk album cover, uh, Man Machine, for with the family one of these years. But to do it, we'll have to get red shirts and uh, skinny black ties. That should be your Christmas card. <laughs> Nothing says Christmas like Kraftwerk. <laughs>